I'm asking, why all the warnings? What's up with the warnings? Why, when we read the Old Testament, are there the woes and the woes and the woes, these insensitive warnings? Listen, beloved, neglect of warnings is perilous. Pastor here at New Life Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you up one side and down the other as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. We're going to attempt to wrap up a teaching that we began last week. It's titled, The Man from Morsheth, and it deals with the issue of warnings. Why all the warnings in the Bible, as we stated at uh, the very outset of the program. Why all of these woes? Warnings are important, in particular if they come forth from God Almighty, the sovereign God. Here's the issue. The warnings come forth. The question is, are you listening? Are you heeding those warnings? I want to suggest to you that which was spoken over ancient Samaria can certainly apply to us today in terms of the warnings, and we're going to see this as we get into this particular teaching. Uh, the man from Orsheth is found in Micah, and Micah provides the text portion for this particular teaching. But I'm going to go over into the New Testament and read for you from uh, one of the additional passages that we're going to look at here in just a little while. It is found in Revelation. Go with me if you have your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, beginning around verse 7. And the record puts it this way. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Look at verse 8. But, here's one of those buts in the Bible. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars... Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Beloved, take this as a warning and please heed this. You do not want to encounter that second death. That's not a good thing. So let's get right on into it. Let me pray for you and we're going to jump right on into the teaching. Father, I thank you for each one that's turned on this telecast by whatever means. And I pray that by your word, by Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to heed these warnings, not only to hear them, but to heed them, to make application in our own lives. We pray, we ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, you hang on. I'm going to be back here in just a little while to wrap up and tell you a couple of things about uh, something happening here at New Life. God bless. Understand this as we're headed there. God has purposed that our forever, yours and mine, is to be spent with Him. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, it would be very difficult for me to be a, a preacher. But God has purposed for our forever to be with Him in heaven. 
But there's a but. There's a but. He has some qualifiers. Are you listening to me? Live streamers, if we're still there, I'm beginning to wonder after that visit. But uh, there's some qualifiers. Let me show you. Go back to look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It begins with a woe. Everybody say woe. Woe. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. In other words, they're dreaming about it. They're scheming about it. At morning light, they carry it out because it is in their physical power. It's in their power to do it. And then he gives us some examples. Verse 2, they covet fields. They don't belong to them. They covet them. They want them. They belong to someone else. But they've dreamed about getting those fields. And they seize them. They follow through on their evil thoughts and dreams. And houses, is not their house, but they take those houses. They defraud a man of his home. Still a house from a man. A fellow man, a defrauded a fellow man of his inheritance. They take what belongs to someone else. Look at verse 3, the first part of the verse. Therefore, church, when we see therefore, what do we need to do? Look and see what it's there for. Therefore, the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people. The people that dream and scheme and follow through with these evil plans. I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. Pastor Terry, that's Old Testament. What about some New Testament? Go with me to Revelation chapter 21. Are y'all still with me? Verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters. What in the world is that? That's those whose priorities are jacked up, the idolaters. And all liars, their place, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second Death. I want you to know and understand the first death is a one and done physical deal. It's when you leave this present existence. There is a second death. The second death is not one and done. The second death is spiritual and it is an eternal death. It's an eternity of dying. And we're being warned about that. Number six on your study note says this. I want you to catch this. These passages make it crystal clear, whether it's Micah or Revelation. Beloved, that we do indeed need to listen to God's warnings. Sometime around 2001, February 2001, down in Daytona, Florida, there was a pretty famous race taking place, and I happened to be watching it. And on the last lap, number three, who's number three? The Intimidator, Dale Sr., was in third place. His son and his, another car of his was first and second place. And we're all expecting him to come off turn four as they approach that famous dog leg at Daytona and put his... Um, signature 
what do you call that move where you draft and slingshot? That's, that's what we were all expecting. Dale's got this one in the bag, but that's not what happened. Coming out of turn four, he was tapped in the rear end by another car and sent headlong 180 miles an hour head on into the wall. In a matter of moments, it was very clear, very evident that something was terribly wrong. This was not just another wreck. But Dale Earnhardt died in that crash. And I'll never forget the commentators, one in particular, saying, I hope Dale's all right. And he was crying. He knew Dale wasn't all right. Now, the next day a report revealed that Mr. Earnhardt had died from blunt force head trauma. Some have suggested, I don't know that anybody can know this for sure, but some have suggested that if Mr. Earnhardt had been wearing that which is now mandatory, it's called a Hans device, a head and neck shoulder device or something to that effect, keep your head from slamming all around. They said if he would have had that on, that he may have survived the crash. Suffice it to say, that device was available then. But Mr. Earnhardt and many of the other drivers there that day neglected to use that device. And that neglect probably cost him his life. I told you that to tell you this. I'm asking why all the warnings? What's up with the warnings? Why, when we read the Old Testament, are there the woes and the woes and the woes, these insensitive warnings? Listen, beloved, neglect of warnings is perilous. God's warnings, God's warnings are offered to all, and yet many neglect to heed them. Isn't it amazing that we have this thing known as the Bible, the Word of God, that tells us exactly the way things are going to play out in the end, and then there are people that neglect or reject to read this totally, won't have anything to do with it. And it tells you everything, that's nearly everything going on in the spiritual uh, world today and what's going to play out in the days to come and what is playing out right now, and people don't want to have anything to do with it. Isn't that amazing? God's warnings are offered to all, yet many neglect to, to heed them. Now, I am entering my closing. So take a deep breath. This will all be over before you know it. Micah gave three messages. I encourage you to go read it and outline it on your own time. Three messages. And they're all around this word, hear. Actually, some versions put it like this. Hear, listen, listen. The first one's in chapter 1, verse 2, and he says, Hear all the people. Everybody say all. That would include you. All the people. The second one's, listen. In chapter 3, verse 1, he speaks to the leaders. All the people. And then he kind of gets down to a, a certain segment of all the people, the leaders. And then lastly, chapter 6 and verse number 1, there's another listen, and that listen is connected to the word repent. He's saying, all of you people here, you leaders, listen, listen. You all and you leaders, you need to repent. Why was such warnings given through the man of Morsheth? Because all the people and all the leaders needed to repent. 
They needed to repent. Mr. Ellicott, in his very fine commentary, says this, and I quote, Samaria, the capital of the northernmost segment of Israel. Israel was divided at this time. He says, Samaria set an example of idolatry, drunkenness, and all the evils of a most profligate society. And Jerusalem, the capital of the southernmost kingdom, Jerusalem, the city set on a hill, gave a home in the temple of Jehovah to heathen deities. With that, go to, to Micah chapter 1, verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression. When you see Jacob in the Bible most of the time, it's talking about the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, not just that one man, but the whole nation. Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. Look at this, verse 7. All her idols, all her idols, those things pursued in lieu of God, I will pour her idols, all her idols rather will be broken to pieces, all her temple gifts will be burned with fire, I will destroy all her images since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes as the wages of prostitutes they will again be used. Wow. Mr. Barnes says of these two capitals, Samaria and Jerusalem, corrupted, they become a focus of corruption. Samaria being founded on apostasy, owing its being to rebellion against God, the home of that policy which set up a rival system of worship. New Life, will you listen to me? There is no rival to God. None. Now, this is really not the place where I wanted to bring you and drop you off this morning. So let's see if we can make some sense out of this. I want you to know and understand that God hates sin. Will you say that with me? God hates sin. Are you aware of that? God hates sin. Now, it's hard for people to wrap their mind around this sometimes, but he loves the souls of sinners. He hates the sin, but he loves the soul of the sinner. It's kind of, it is difficult to wrap our mind around in some respects. Number seven on your study notes, beloved, I told you that to tell you this. God's warnings are always toward the end of realizing repentance and restoration. Always. Warnings are given to us. And, and I want to encourage you when you read through the Bible, when you come across a warning, whether it's a woe or a beware or whatever it is, I want to encourage you to continue to, to receive that as a pleading from God because that's what it is. Uh, God is begging the receptive heart, the receptive open heart to listen, to hear what he has to say. It's a gift from God, is it not? 
Another writer says it this way, quote, although the first three chapters of Micah are denunciatory, the last four chapters are consolatory. Micah asked, who is like unto thee, speaking of God? Who is like God in prophesying, in putting forth the word, in putting forth the, the, uh, the warnings? And a little later, he makes it very clear. Who is alike God, not just in prophesying and putting forth those warnings, but in consoling and pardoning? Nobody's like our God. That's what he wants to do. Though our text opens with a woe, everybody say woe. That's not the final word. Listen to verse 7 of chapter 2 latter part of the verse, God said through the prophet, do not my words do good to him whose ways are upright? Will you listen to this church? I told you God wants everybody to spend eternity with him, but there are some clarifiers. Here it is. If you would do what is right, and this is right, the Word of God, the Bible. If you'll do what is right, you will find God's words comforting. And that's what God wants for you, to read His Word, heed His Word, and find comfort in that Word as you agree with Him about life. Such warnings as we encounter from Micah, if you read through the book, you will clearly understand that they were intended to sober, in many respects, literally to sober because Israel, like most nations that fall, they think it's more important to worship a bottle than to worship God. I don't see anything wrong with that, preacher. Well, I'm trying to help you. There's something wrong with it. Such warnings are intended to sober a drifting society to come back. A drifting society. Listen to verse 12 of chapter 2. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. He's speaking to the nation. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them the Lord at their head. What a beautiful picture, and that's what God wants. Fill in number eight with me, and we're almost there. That which is spoken in Micah and other places over Samaria and over Jerusalem could certainly be spoken over modern-day America. Am I right? Are we drifting as a nation? Say yes. Is the way to hell a broad way and are there a lot of people on it? Say yes. Is the way to heaven narrow and just a few finding it? I hope and pray to God that you're one of the, the few. I wish it was more, but we're warned about this. Micah's message to hear 
brings hope. It brings hope to all people, not just to Israel. It brings hope to the average citizen. It brings hope to the leaders, the elite, and for all of those people up in Washington, D.C. listening to our live stream this morning. I pray that you guys get a hold of this truth. Repent. Let me give you a couple of quotes from Mr. Tozier a very well-known preacher from a bygone era. He says, read church history. Read about the revivals and how God scrapped everything present at the time and started all over again. Listen, be careful how you pray for revival. God takes this stuff serious. Read about the revivals and how God scrapped everything present at the time and started all over again. Perhaps this will happen again. Tozier says, I pray it will. If you go back and study the old-time revivals, those meetings changed not only people's lives, individuals, but the community as well. Isn't that what we'd love to see? There was power that did not come from the assembly. Listen to me, church. It was a power that came down on that assembly, and that power was the Holy Spirit. Revival's not something that you get up. It's something that you receive from up above. It comes down. What would happen this Sunday morning, says Mr. Tozier, and he's been in heaven for a long time, but what would happen this Sunday morning if the Holy Spirit manifested Jesus Christ in such a way that people experienced his presence, not just the lights and the music and the preacher and the cameras and all of that, but Jesus Christ in such a way that they experienced his presence. That's the kind of revival I believe we need today. And when I read that from Mr. Tozier, if you're interested in this sort of thing, the book Alive in the Spirit, I ask myself, how does that happen? He suggests, read about the revivals down through the years. Are you listening to me, New Life? Read about the revivals down through the years and realize that every revival resulted from renewed authority of the Holy Spirit in the local church. They got on their knees and refused to do anything until there was a move of the Holy Spirit. That's how. I wonder if we're willing to go there. Are you? Bow your heads with me if you would, please. Beloved, we're going to jump in and wrap it up right there. Let me say this to you as we do. Isn't it amazing that the sovereign God of creation, the God who created everything that there is, and that's a powerful entity. Isn't it amazing that He cares enough about us, He cares enough about you, to bring to us warnings, some cautions, some woes, and say, hey guys, time out. Listen, I care about you. I have a plan for your life. I'm warning you that if you don't follow that plan, things are not, not going to turn out too well for you. Watch this. 
not only in eternity, but even in the present world, the present life. And isn't that true? Those who follow after the things of God live a better life. They do. They live a better life. And then on top of that, they have an eternity to look forward to with God. Now, and I certainly understand there are those that, for whatever reason, God has allowed for troubles and trials to come into their life. Even with that, they know that they have an eternity uh, before them, an eternity with God. What a tremendous thought. The warnings are this, turn to God or you're going to encounter something in eternity that isn't going to be very good. And I'm speaking of a place of eternal damnation. The Bible refers to as hell. On occasion, people ask today, do you believe there's such a thing as a literal hell? And I usually answer it this way. The Jesus that I follow, Jesus Christ, He believed in it. And if I follow Him, then yes, I believe into it. I ascribe to it because I believe it's a reality, a reality of the Scriptures, a reality of that which God has purposed and allowed in His economy of things. Here's where I want to leave you. That doesn't sound too encouraging, but I want to leave you with this. Through Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven. We can be put in a right relationship with God and know that we're, we can endure His blessings, His promises in this present existence, as well as an eternity with Him. The question that remains is this. Have you established a relationship with Christ? How do I do that, Pastor Terry? I believe the Bible is very clear that we confess our sins. We repent of our sins. We open up our heart's door and we ask Christ to come in to get rid of the sin, to take care of the sin, and to replace that with His precious presence by Holy Spirit. All of that is facilitated by prayer. I know there are those who say there's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. That's not in the Bible. Listen, we are sinners, and if we pray, that's a sinner's prayer. And if we pray a prayer of confession and repentance and truly open up our heart's door and invite Christ to come in, I believe, beloved, that He will do just exactly that. Now, once that takes place, there are some other things. There's other truths that need to be applied after that initial salvation experience. I totally get that, and I'm not going back into another sermon at this point to explain all of that. We'll do that another time and uh, uh, by an, another means. But for right now, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins? Now listen to me. Some of you are listening to me. Uh, who uh, you're in attendance of a church worship celebration week after week. You perch on a church chair, as the case might be, but you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart. You've never asked God to forgive you of your sins. I challenge you and I encourage you to do that right now. Father, I pray for those that are listening that have never been born again. They've never confessed their sins, repented of their sins, invited you to come into their life. I pray that as they do that right now, that you would begin that initial work in their heart and life that would establish them as your child and a part of your forever kingdom. Help them, Lord, to get into your word, to uh, seek wise and godly counsel that they might know and understand. The purpose of these woes is to drive them to you so that they might experience this good news message about Jesus and an eternity with you. We pray, we ask in Christ's name, amen and amen. Beloved, if you made a decision 
right now, I would encourage you to get in touch with us. There's some contact information there on the screen, and we would love to hear from you and perhaps put some information in your hands that would help you in this walk, and I'm really serious about that. New Life does have a regular schedule of activity Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, our primary worship celebration. We also meet Wednesday nights, and there's a ton going on here Wednesday. 7 o'clock, we call it Family Ministries Night. may just be something for you. Well, my time is completely gone. I'm going to have to get out of here. I am Terry Knight, and the pastor of New Life Community Church, wishing you a great week. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?